Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tierney ou le drapeau pour Olivier Florent, qu'est-ce qu'il lui a fait là Qu'est-ce qu'il lui fait Kieran Tierney Kieran Tierney, c'est quoi C'est quoi ça Il vient souhaiter une très bonne année aux supporters d'Arsenal Kieran Tierney, quel rush Magnifique This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Are you awake? I am awake, you just are. about. I fell, I'm awake. I, you found me on my sofa. I must have slipped off at some point during the second half. Um, and yeah, been here overnight. And here I am. Do you ever get a feeling during a game that turns out to be, you know, you know the way we all have these kind of feelings, like towards the end of a game, we haven't scored and you're going, oh, we could get a sucker punch here. You know, that kind of fatalistic thing that I think all of us get. And when it happens, we go, oh, God, I'm so, I'm so. Uh, In tune. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know, I know what's happening, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's just an element of fearing the worst and it actually coming to pass. And, and also Arsenal being quite capable of doing that to us in recent memory. So we're, we're all think we're experts in that regard. But I'd have very very strong feeling from actually before kickoff that this was mm. going to be one of those games i'll tell you why i turned on my uh my skybox no signal your skybox okay. is receiving bad omen no signal right none at all unplug the box do the thing turn it on again no signal i'm like okay well this is this is bad um i have another box you know one of those uh how's your father don't say a word kind of boxes Know sure. one of those? Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of those. Well, I'll turn that on. That'll be fine. I'll just, you know, click on. That'll be... Nothing worked. Nothing worked. Didn't work. Whatever's happened there, it's gone. Whatever. The authorities, I don't know who. Gone. You should have accepted what the elements, what the cosmos were telling you, Andrew. You weren't supposed to watch this game. I, I think so, but I had a duty of care to the readers and the listeners and everything else to make sure, sure that I saw this. So I eventually found a stream on my phone and streamed from my phone to the TV, creating a lovely kind of, I don't know, I guess it was about 30 seconds, a minute behind everybody watching in real time on TV. So apologies to anyone who's on the live blog for that. But i that's when I had the feeling that this was going to be one of those games. Mm, mm. So actually, were you quite relieved in a way that it didn't transpire to be a, a sucker punchy kind of game? Well, no, I wasn't fearing the sucker punch. I just sort of had this feeling that it was going to be one of those, like a, a nil-nil was of no surprise to me whatsoever. Yeah. I, I felt like we weren't going to score. 
And is nil-nil <clears throat> the worst result in football? I firmly believe no. it is. No. No? No. I'd say on a sliding scale, <laughs> sort of 10-nil would be worse. 9-nil also right, yeah. a bit worse. 8-nil, 7-nil, so on. Those are a lot worse, but I do know where you're coming from. I know where your I know where your mind. Is. I think I'd still have a nil nil, but like worse than some defeats, <laughs> because <laughs> at least with defeats as a supporter, you get kind of the catharsis, you know, and you get uh, you get those moments. You get to be really, angry. You get to be angry. Exactly. You get to pick it apart. Whereas with a nil nil, it's just kind of like yeah, it's just it's a, it's a very <sighs> horsey result, you know. Yeah. Nay. Nay. No, no. There you go. Uh, but <laughs> listen, we, I guess there was no sucker punch. We did not lose. Maybe if we're going to look for positives, that is the positive. I, I think so. I mean, this it does feel like the kind of game we could have found a way to lost a few, uh, lose a few weeks ago. We would have done. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure too. So if we're looking for silver linings, if we're looking for any kind of positives this morning, it is that you know we kept a clean sheet. I saw the stat. Did you see the stat from um, Orbino, the doom stat man of all time? <laughs> Is he okay? I'm really worried about Orbino because just going through those stats, it's got to be a tough. I think Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal. You know, uh, it's like um, you know that scene in uh, what's that film? The fucking film with uh, how do you like them apples? What's that with fucking the guy who has the strength of ten men? I don't know, actually. Matt Damon. Like Matt Damon. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Okay. Goodwill Hunting. Okay. And you know the bit where he's like the humble janitor guy and he goes into the classroom and he sees the equation that the professor's been trying to work out. And of course, he's so super smart. He goes up and goes, and does the fucking, does mm-hmm. the equation. And he's a genius. But I think it's a bit like that for Orbino at the moment, except none of it makes any sense. <laughs> All the numbers yeah. are going in his head. He's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. He's seeing the world like Neo sees the Matrix, just numbers <laughs> coming at him. And it's all very, very, very ugly. Yeah. Anyway, the stat that he put out was Bernd Leno got his first clean sheet at the Emirates in the Premier League since March 2020. So, woohoo! Wow. That is a big stat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's that? Nine months? Wow. Mm. Congratulations. The gestation period of that clean sheet is now over. He is finally... (laughs) (laughs) It was conceived in March last year. He's been, he's been, it's been growing inside him and now he's released it to the world. Welcome to our Bonnie baby uh, boy clean sheet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Well, th- those, I think that is the positive. It's a clean sheet. And also the return of Thomas Partey, I think is, is yeah. a positive because he's been out for 10 games or so. So seeing him back on the pitch was good. It was good. It was good. I mean, it balanced in my mind by the fact that Kieran Tierney, as we all know, mm. is entering an MRI machine imminently. Uh, yeah. Which, which makes it sound bad. You know, before the game, Arsenal put a thing out saying muscle tightness or something like that. Then, uh, you know, Arteta drops the acronym bomb in his press conference and suddenly we're all like, what has, what's what has happened? Fuck? Yeah. How tight is oh. this particular muscle? And which muscle is it? Is it his heart? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was the brain. It was the brain all along. Um, oh, so, God, yeah. Yeah, so a bit of counterbalance there. But, I mean, I guess that's a good place to start because the starting lineup um, mm. 
you know, there were a couple of changes, weren't there? Yeah, well, obviously Tierney is a big miss, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles came in at left-back. Pablo Marie was, I think he's got a calf problem. They said it's just a calf problem, but probably we'll get some news today that his leg has fallen off. Yeah, what exactly? Let's put him in the MRI. See what else we can find. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was a, a concern. I mean, we did talk just the other day about Tierney mm. desperately needing a rest. Um, mm. Maybe, and I'll just throw this out there. Maybe yeah. the FA Cup game was the the time to rest him. The straw that broke the camel's legs. Yeah, I, I fear so. Not being Captain Hindsight or anything on this, but, you know, it was it was one of those things we mentioned at the time in, in that, you know, 120 minutes in an FA Cup game. Maybe those minutes could have gone to somebody else. Maybe this injury is unrelated to the, to the fact that he played two hours against Newcastle because other players who played against Newcastle also played. So, you know, it's not necessarily down to, to that, but it's hard not to make that connection. Yeah, and I can't think of an outfield player who's played quite as many minutes as Tierney recently. Mm. Uh, and it's funny, you know, we said, well, did he play against Newcastle because he's just so integral to the way we play? Mm. Uh, well, I, I think, think he we, is. We, we probably got our answer. Um, mm. Yeah, and then obviously Louise came in for uh, Marie, like mm. you said. Other than that, Shaka and Sabas were back in the midfield. And then up front, it was kind of what you were expecting, right? In the absence of Martinelli, that was kind of the lineup everyone yeah. would have picked, I imagine. Yeah, I didn't have any or nothing about that front three. And, and Emile Smith Rowe behind them was a surprise, I don't think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, what did you make? I thought we started quite brightly. I thought there were some positive yeah. signs in terms of how we used the ball. Ceballos pinging it around, looking to get involved. He was having some 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 moments, wasn't he? There were a couple of little uh, crafty bits of skill in the midfield. You're thinking, okay, this isn't bad, but, mm. you know. I, there's something about Ceballos where, like, when he is on it, mm. he just finds an extra gear in his play. And it's, yeah. it seems to be sort of energy as well as technical and, and I just wish that we knew whatever formula it is that kind of can generate that in him so yeah. that we could do it more consistently. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when it boils down to it, there's there's an issue for me with Ceballos, with Xhaka and with Luis in right. that they all want to touch the ball a lot. You know mm. what I mean? Um, they all want to have a couple of touches, look up, see what's on, make the pass, et cetera, et cetera. And I think part of the issue that we had yesterday was not moving the ball quickly enough in, in certain areas. Louise is, um, you know, he's a really good passer of the football. We know that. We know he's got range to his passing and everything else. But but he kind of, he's 33 now. Is he 33? He must, yeah, he's 33. So he's kind of like, I'm the senior guy. I've been yeah. here, I've seen that, done that, worn the various T-shirts. I know what this game's all about. I will play the game at my pace. Yeah, And I think that was really evident last night in that, you know, it was like, take the ball, Rob Holding is standing there, you know, open for a pass, and he sort of gestures at Holding, like, move out, move out, move out, move out, move out, keeps the ball, keeps the ball, and then ends up playing it to Holding anyway, when he could have played that pass three, four, five seconds Earlier, you know, I think what what's um, 
inhibiting about Louise is that desire to play the game at the pace that he wants rather than at the pace the game requires. And when you're playing a team like Palace, when you're playing a team who are, you know, whose whose game plan is built around organization, structure, getting men behind the ball, staying in position, cutting off passing lanes, when you take so long to move the ball all that does is give them the time to just retreat back to where they need to be. And because they are well-drilled, because they are disciplined, because Hodgson is a good coach, you know, and has plenty of experience, it makes it really easy for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And actually, if you listened, to, well, you couldn't help but listen to Ray Lewington on the sidelines of Crystal Palace, you know, everything he was saying, everything mm. that he was encouraging was about their defensive shape, was yeah. about them working back, about them tackling back. And, uh, you know, they came here very organised and, you know, teams have done it against Arsenal this season because they feel like it's a risk you can take and it's something it's a, something you can withstand. But I think it's a good point on Louise. I, I do want, I don't want to overplay this, but I do wonder, you know, the fact we replaced Tierney and Marie, two left-footers with two right-footers, you know, if Arteta's yeah. so keen on having a left-sided centre-half um, for reasons of balance and being able to exit quickly and efficiently and with variety... I do wonder if that affected us in approach play as well. Yeah, Maitland-Niles uh, struggled, didn't he, at, at left-back? I mean, there was a, gr- a moment really early on where he made a brilliant run down the inside left channel. Yeah. Like a superb run. The pace was amazing. He got on, you know, the timing of it was perfect. And it was there for a cross to come in. And because it was his left foot, he kind of clumped it way over the bar. It, you know, it wasn't a good delivery. And I think there you're looking at the the difference between you know, the 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 threat of tyranny, you know, it wasn't so much that Maitland-Niles wasn't in the right positions, it's what he's able to do with the ball in those positions because he's a right-footed player. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was the first time he got to the byline and maybe maybe he put a cross in with his left foot, I forget, but mm. it, was, it was wildly inaccurate and you just thought, okay, well... That's the difference, you know, athletically, he's of course got the capability, but just technically as a right foot player, it's not going to be the same. And again, you know, with Aubameyang also wanting to go inside from that flank, I do think that was a bit of an imbalance. And it's easy to say, you know, Captain Hindsight, etc. Mm. But, you know, they, they made the change with Saka going over to left back. I do wonder if it might have been worth starting him left wing, just so you had somebody who, you know, was able to get to the byline and play on that side. But, you know, I know why they started with it the way they did. Yeah, um, I mean, the other side of that is, work. yeah, you play Aubameyang from the right where he's, you know, sure, it's not, it's not his best position. I mean, the other thing you could have done, of course, was play Pepe from the start or play yeah. Willian from the start, which I don't know that too many people would have been particularly happy with and play Aubameyang as your, your centre forward. Mm. That would have been another option, I guess. Uh, but he went with what he went with and it didn't really work. I don't think we ever really clicked as an attacking force. Um, you know, we got into some decent positions in the final third, but the, the final ball or the the uh, incisiveness was not there. Um, you know, I remember Aubameyang a couple of times getting into decent positions on the left-hand side, sort of in the box, and then just not being able to find the final pass. It just didn't quite work, whereas, you know, in the last couple of games, we've had some moments where the absolute precision of the passing in around the penalty box and those one-touch movements, um, you know, have been so perfect, 
like yeah. literally perfect that it's impossible for the opposition to deal with when those things are off by 10%, 20%, sometimes a bit more than that, it becomes a lot easier for the opposition to deal with. Yeah, and I think some of our attacking players became a bit... Uh detached you know I mean I think Lacazette was really not in the game he didn't have a shot I think in the game mm. um, he had one into the side netting but I think it was offside ah uh, right okay yeah and, and even to be honest in the first half like Smith Rowe's been so um, important to the way we play but I felt like uh, maybe the opposition came prepared for that and he, mm. he was finding it a little bit harder to find space and we were not finding him as easily and as early so yeah I mean it was it was kind of one of those where, I mean, they had the better chances, certainly, in the first half and came closer to scoring, didn't mm. they? I mean, Tompkins hit the bar. Yeah. Uh, and Leno made what looked like a very good save, actually, from Benteke header. I don't know if it was quite as good as it looked, but in the moment, I was like, wow. I think it was save. as good as it looked. Do you? Yeah. yeah I think really it was a really good one because it was, a, it was one of those where he got up across and got a kind of big hand on yeah. it. It wasn't fingertips. It was the palm of his hand to sort of scoop it away. And I think that was a, a really, really good save from Leno. And not for the first time, he's uh, he's shown his importance to us um, in, in a game recently. You think about what happened at the end of the Newcastle game, the end of the 90 minutes, uh, when he made those saves from, from Andy Carroll. So, yeah. I, if we're talking about positives, actually, uh, the fact that Leno wasn't particularly um, busy and that he made a telling contribution, I think, is a real positive. Yeah, and did so against Newcastle as well in the FA Cup. By the way, one thing I meant to say about mm. Maitland Niles, you might not have seen this to the same extent because obviously you were streaming the game via your phone but mm. I was having a look at social media and he was taking absolute pelters really in the first half uh, it did seem like it was one of those games that really just got away from him particularly in that first 45 minutes I thought his passing was uh, really sketchy and it was one of those where it looks like he sort of <laughs> wasn't really concentrating, which can sometimes be the case with him. Did you notice that? Or Yeah, I mean, there was that back pass, wasn't there? That. The one that he, he lumped a back pass at Leno. I that mean, was the really, most egregious example, yeah. He really hit it, you know, and I have some sympathy because he's playing, it's not that he's never played left back before, but he's not a natural left back. Let's be real about this. He's not yeah. a natural left back. Um, nevertheless, I do think he, he struggled. I think, probably in the opening 20 minutes more than the rest of the game. I think he he did quite well after that initial period. Not brilliant, but certainly better. I think there was one really good crossfield pass, and there was a moment not long before he came off where he, he showed some good feet and had a shot on goal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think more than it being a poor Maitland-Niles performance, I think it just highlighted the the influence and the importance of Kieran Tierney for us? Yeah. Uh, Simon Collins uh, tweeted saying, you know, the biggest drop-offs in the squad in terms of quality are at goalkeeper and left-back. Yeah. And I think that may well be true. I think that may well be true. Well, it is, yeah. It is. I think we've got some questions on, on the left-back thing, so we might come back to that um, in part two. Can I ask you a little bit about what you thought of Granit Xhaka's performance? Because I on reflection think it was mental because <laughs> uh, I mean I thought he was pretty good actually yeah but, I, I, uh, yeah but I know what you mean by the same token 
there were moments where, you know, uh, he made a really, really good tackle on Zaha in the box. Mm. I know he was penalised for one, uh, which I thought was very harsh, just outside the box in the first half. They had a free kick they put over the bar. It was one of those where I think, you know, the referee was very generous towards Palace. You know, his tackling is not necessarily something that we we consider one of his strengths. No. Right? No. But whatever he was on last night, the timing was perfect pretty much in every tackle that he made. I think he won six out of six tackles. Yeah. But the fact is that like a couple of those at least were from him giving the ball away, which is not really uh, what you associate with him. Um, you know, because his passing generally last night was really good. I think he made almost 100 successful passes out of yeah, 112, no, something like that, yeah. you know. So he, he, was, he was on it in terms of, you know, um, his, his influence and his uh, desire to get on the ball and everything else. And his, his defensive work really stood out because it's not what he's strong at. But, you know, there were moments where he kind of put himself in trouble. And at the same time, you, you kind of have to say, well, you have to credit his commitment to making up for those errors. You know, when he gave it away, he chased back and he tried to win it back for us. It was a really mad kind of performance, I think, on an individual basis. 99 out of 112 passes he, he, he made. He played a bit like a player, you know, like when a team's kind of, uh, I don't know, two or three nil down and a guy sort of goes on a mission and they're like, mm. I'm going to... I mean, that is Shaka, I guess. He's always, He always wants to sort of put out fires. He always wants to put himself in the centre of things. Um, but I, I do think he had a pretty good game. In some ways, I'm cautious about that just because I'm wary that it might have been a very eye-catching game because, you know, you see all those sliding tackles and there mm. were a couple of kind of uh, very good passes, but also some inaccurate ones. I, I think, if anything, he was just trying to force it a bit. Mm. But it's an interesting one because if you ask me to individually assess... Granite Shaka and Danny Ceballos in this game. I think I would probably say I thought they both did. I thought they both did pretty well. But then when you look at the team and you look at our performance generally and mm. you look at how little we created, you kind of have to interrogate that and say, you know, even though they might have looked good to my eye, are they actually doing the right thing? You know, so it, I, I, it's hard to say in a team that sort of doesn't create anything to look at the central midfield and go, yeah, they were fine. But weirdly, that was my instinct that is what my eyes told me yeah i think you're right they were fine sabias had 72 of 77 passes and created one chance yeah um i'm just looking at shaka here in terms of chance creation um no chances created no you chances know. but and he I made see, um... he made 26 of 30 passes in the final in the attacking third you know so uh, yeah he was our, our most progressive passer mm. according to scott's uh, post-match kind of uh, data rundown. I, I think, to be mm. fair, second was Rob Holding, which I think shows you know, how, how deep Palace were and how difficult we were finding it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I actually thought, although Samaras had some really uh, eye-catching passes early on that, was, that I thought were brilliant, I personally I thought Shaq was, was the better player on the night. Mm. Um, but, you know, it is it is tricky because I, I also look at that and I can't, admit that I thought it was a bad idea you know I, I thought it was great to get party on and I am hoping he's going to improve that part of the pitch yeah. dramatically yeah I mean would you have would you have done it the other way around would you have done party for Xhaka rather than party for Ceballos I don't know I mean 
I tweeted this last night. I'm excited about Partey, but I do find it... I do slightly fear we are projecting him to be something he's not because, you know, I saw fans and stuff sort of hoping that he was going to come on and change the game. And, and I don't think he is... I think we might overstate his kind of creative potential slightly. Mm. Maybe that's just me, but, you know, that isn't... Certainly not what he did at Atletico Madrid. I know he thinks he's got more in his locker than that, but I don't want to kind of build him up as once we buy party, once we play party, we'll be creating chances. All no, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, but I do feel like once we get him back into the team and hopefully established on a on a regular basis, he's in there week in week out. I think what he does is he he just adds an extra layer or dimension to the way we play through midfield. Not necessarily him, you know taking it on like Patrick yeah. Vieira and sliding uh, slide reel passes through to the forwards and things like that. That's not necessarily what I'm expecting. I just want to see an overall lift in the quality of our midfield play and, you know, being able to dictate the game more from midfield, if you like. Yeah. Well, I think he, I think he helps you do that. And actually, in the short time he was on the pitch, mm. I think Shaka made the most tackles for Arsenal, but Partey, I think, was second by the end of the 90 minutes. And he made a number of really good interventions to help us regain possession. He does seem to move the ball a little bit quicker, which I think will bring something to to the midfield and I'm, I'm glad that he wasn't rushed back and started as well you know it seems like we've taken our time with him this yeah. time and you know that's definitely the right approach given oh. how little we've seen of him okay but do you do you start him on Monday uh, I would be extremely tempted to yeah and obviously they've got more information than me but I would be very very tempted to mm. and actually I I know it I know it famously didn't work. I think it was the Leicester game where they played Shaka Sabayos and Partey. I don't know if you remember. And um I probably it blocked bit, it out of <laughs> it was a it was a pretty much a disaster. It was one of those where kind of Shaka kind of in the way similar fashion to Louise, as you described earlier, was very kind of domineering. Oh um, yeah, is this the thing. one where they said like he doesn't pass to to Partey? Yeah, was that, that game? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I am I do kind of think if I was picking a, a partnership right now, I, personally, I would be tempted to try Shaka and Partey. I do think that might be mm. best bet. But, you know, I wouldn't be upset to see Sabas and Partey either. Okay. Well, we'll wait and see what he does on Monday. Um, Partey was one of the subs. Nicolas yep. Pepe was the first sub on. Yeah. Um, going in at left back, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that made sense to me, really. Um you know, given how how much of a struggle Ainsley had found it, um, you know, who have you got that can slot in there? You either put Granit Xhaka in at left back, and I don't think that's necessarily a good idea when you're playing a team that is looking to hit you on the break, um, which is, you know, the way the way Palace played and with, with Zaha, with Eze uh, and what have you. You know, they do have players who can hurt you there. So that, that really wasn't an option for me. So Saka was was basically the only option we had there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does take something away from from the attacking third because he has been so good, but we're looking for Pepe to come on. And, you know, after the, the Newcastle game, I think I was, you know, I saw some things in there that I quite liked from Pepe, but, you know, he really, he really finds it difficult to make an impact in this team, doesn't he? He does, and... Uh... 
you know, I, I don't want to sound overly harsh on the player because I don't think he was kind of diabolical or anything like it. But it was a real opportunity, wasn't it? Mm. Like this was a game that needed unlocking. You've got an attacking player coming on, incredibly skillful, someone who in theory could have provided the solution for Arsenal and just really didn't, mm. you know, it really underwhelmed. Um, and I mean, interesting that Willian, by the way, didn't even get off the bench, I thought, yeah. um, given where he was in Arteta's thoughts a little while ago. But yeah, not great for Pepe. Um I mean, what do we say? What do we? What can we add at this point? It's very difficult, isn't it? We, we've yeah. kind of. But if you, it's funny. You think back to the end of last season, and it really felt like he found something and was uh, building something at Arsenal, and that just feels a million miles away now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's um, you know, with every week, with every performance, it's you know, well, yeah, like you say, what more can we say? It just isn't working um not in the way that we expected and not for again it's it's just sort of impossible to have the conversation about him without mentioning the price tag you know yeah. and again it's not like to put it on pepe it's not his fault no. we know that but when you make that level of investment in a player there are expectations there are a level of expectations that you that you have for a player and what he can produce and how consistently he can produce it so yeah, and I think you know, I think it's I think it's right to reference the price tag. I, I think it's a shame because it's going to follow the player everywhere. But I, mm. I think you're correct. It's almost it's just impossible to divorce it because essentially that is the signing that Arsenal or the people running Arsenal kind of put all their chips on. Mm. You know, um, yeah. and so for it to not work is is really a, a, a disaster. And yeah, I I I hoped. I I think I even said, you know, I hope Pepe is kind of the first man off the bench, and he was. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's not in the next game. Yeah, because he didn't do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the sad part I, about that is that there's somebody else going to come on who hasn't been good either. So it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of resource and a lot of money tied up in two <laughs> right wingers who uh, ain't doing much between them to be honest and I, I mean I do have one bit of sympathy for Pepe in that I think it's difficult when you're not a regular you know it's you don't have that rhythm to your game and you're coming on and expected to produce but that is the hole that he's in and he's got to dig himself out of it um, mm, or not or not as the case may be yeah. yeah, like I said, I I, I have this uh, growing feeling that you know the summer could be could be one where he moves on. Mm. So um, overall, maybe a little bit of a reality check. I think we all enjoyed the last four games, and obviously we've uh, you know we've won those, and those get expectations a little bit high. But I think probably what it shows is that this team. Uh, if anybody had lost sight of that, and I'm not sure that they did. I think everybody's been relatively realistic about, you know, how much we've done in the last couple of weeks in comparison to what happened in the previous four or five weeks before that. You know, we're all yeah. we're all aware. You don't forget. But just a little reminder that in order to produce on a consistent basis, week in, week out, for more than four games, for more than 10 days or two weeks, we still have some way to go. 
I think. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, you know, the most sort of simple way I could put it, I don't think we're quite as bad as we looked in our bad run. I don't think we're as good as we looked in our recent good run. Mm. You know, we are quite a middle-of-the-road team, frankly, and with a long, long way to go. And so, yeah, it was a bit sort of sobering, but at least we didn't lose. We take away, you know, a clean sheet. We take away that we continue a, a run without defeat, which stretches to, you know, four or five games, whatever mm. it is. And we're quite fortunate in that we've got an opportunity to put it right quite quickly with another home game, haven't we, on, on Monday night against Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to recognise as well that Newcastle were a team that held us to nil-nil in 90 minutes. And it'll a be a similar challenge, yeah. I would expect. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's got to look at what we've done in the last couple of games and try and put put some of that right. Of course, we beat Newcastle, but we needed 120 minutes to do it and we had two goals in the last whatever it was 15 minutes or something like that so you know we're not going to get that extra half an hour so we've got to find a solution in the 90 minutes to be more effective from an attacking perspective Um, so yeah I mean I think it is good that we can get back on the horse quickly but yeah there's got to be a significant improvement from what we've seen true well fingers crossed for Kieran Tierney MRI in that case (laughs) Jesus okay Will we leave it there for part one? Let's do that. Let's do that. We'll leave it there for part one and um, we'll come back. We've got questions and all those kind of things in part two right after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog uh, Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Because it was a dismal, uh, dismal, dull draw, how about a competition for some socks? Yes, please. All right. Our friends at SoccerClub.com, that's soccer uh, spelled like sock rather than soccer like the game soccer. I'm overthinking this, but you know what I mean. SoccerClub.com, they've got some new socks based on the Blue Lightning 1995 Away Kit. We've got five pairs to give away. All you have to do is answer the question that I forgot to think of. Um... So, <laughs> let's think of a question. Um, which player, which Crystal Palace player did Mikel Arteta 
effectively step onto the pitch to tackle during last night's game. <laughs> That's a good one. Answers, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. We've got five pairs of socks to give away. There's also a 10% discount if you go to uh, soccerclub.com and use the code arsblog10 at checkout. We'll give you the winners on Tuesday show because we've got an Arscast Extra on Tuesday. So competition at arsblog.com. Which player did Mikel Arteta tackle? Uh, he looked quite grumpy about it as well. Uh, yeah. Late in the second half. I mean, that was, that was you know, he wanted it was to a get a stuck in. reaction, wasn't it? It was like, um, mm. I almost thought my screen had frozen because Arteta had gone into full kind of death stare mode. Um, the Terminator eyes kind of flickered there. Yeah. Uh, but listen, given the player it was, I don't blame him. No, me neither. Me neither. So that's a big clue. Was it a former a Tottenham player or something? I don't know. Maybe we're giving too many hints. So there's the uh, there's the competition for you. Right. Will we get on with the questions? Let's do it. Okay. You go first. Um, okay. There were a lot of questions about left-backs and mm. the left-back situation. Um so one here from uh, Lee Eagle on Discord says, do we need a left-footed sub-left-back? Without Tierney, Alba found himself on the touchline too often and the one time Ainsley Maitland-Niles got down the line, his delivery was as wayward as Hermes at Christmas. Um, <laughs> Emil Smith-Bro at Guna DS said, with Tierney now integral and seemingly here for the long haul, what profile of player should we target for the left-back slot? Uh, and basically a lot of people saying... Oh, God, I've just realised we need a left-back. <laughs> yes, there's a bit of that going around. I did see a great handle this morning somewhere on Twitter. I apologise, I can't find it right now, but I think it's Emil Deathrow. Uh, there's a lot going on there with, with Emil, so fair play to him. Um, what kind of a player do we need? That's a really good question. I mean, I think what we, we absolutely need is natural left-back cover for Kieran Tierney. You know, we know that Maitland-Niles can provide cover we know well we're told or were told that Cedric can play in both fullback positions this was one of the this was one of the things that was said when we signed him when people raised some concerns about the signing it was like well you know he can play left back and he can play right back as well so he gives yeah. us cover in two positions we have never seen him play left back and we've rarely seen him play right back in the premier league so mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little bit. Um... He's actually a number ten. We just won't play him in his true, <laughs> his true calling. Fuck's sake, Arteta misusing players again. Um, yeah, I'm cautious about Cedric as a left back option. I think we absolutely need a natural left footed left back. Now, I accept that there are some difficulties involved in that. You know, when you have a player like Kieran Tierney, who, when he's fit, is going to play every week in the Premier League, you know, what what kind of player do you bring in? What kind well, of player can you yeah. attract? You know, do you promote somebody from within and provide competition? Do you sign a grizzled veteran and let him, you know, be the Licksteiner to the Bellerin? I'm not sure that's really the case either. And any left-back worth his salt who wants to play ain't going to come to just sit behind Kieran Tierney. So I accept that there are difficulties in terms of sorting that situation out but it does not negate the the issue itself in that we need a player in that position. So get to it, Edu. 
That would be. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, and in fairness to Guna Diaz, I cut off the second half of the, his question, but they said any player coming in will surely realise mm. there's zero room to truly compete for the starting spot. I don't know about that. I mean, never underestimate the arrogance of uh, professional athletes. I mean, I do think a lot of the time they back themselves, even when we from the outside can look at it and go, well, obviously you're never going to replace Kieran Tierney. In their mind, they're like, well, all I need is an injury. All I need is Mm. an opportunity and I can make this place my own. Um, I think you just have to buy, you just have to buy a good left back, don't you? you Yeah, I mean, is it beyond the realms of possibility that you could look in the championship somewhere and find a young-ish left-back who's got potential, who won't cost Mm -hmm. the earth, who could come in and, you know, accept the fact that Tierney is first choice, but at the same time, look at a move to a club like Arsenal as a step-up and think, this is a great opportunity. I could play cup games. I could play some Europa League games. You know, players get injured and Tierney, uh, you know, hopefully isn't too badly injured. Um, uh, But, you know, situations like this are where an opportunity will knock for that particular player. So I find it hard to believe that there isn't, you know, a a player out there who would fit the profile of player we need in that position. I'm not saying you can go and get another Kieran Tierney. I don't think that's that's realistic. But I do think you could find a a good young player. uh, And I think this has been one of the... one of the flaws in our recruitment policy is that we don't look down the divisions well enough for sure yeah you know we look at Rob Holding we signed him uh, when he was relegated from the championship I believe so that's I'm sorry he didn't cost 55 million yeah but you know I think there are bargains to be found Mm. I don't know if you saw uh, Dom of Ask Blog News fame yes did Did you read that piece I I did I I sort of read over it very quickly last night he is going to post it up on Ask Blog News as well today oh great well keep an eye out for that yeah well, I mean, yeah, he's done like a um, a kind of stat scouting uh, mm. look at potential left backs that we could bring in, right? And video scouting as well. Mm. And he does actually identify um, a 19-year-old in the uh, championship playing for Derby County, Lee Buchanan, as an option. I mean, that's the kind of thing I think Arsenal should probably look to do. They do have an 18-year-old Joel Lopez who mm. apparently has had a very good season with the under-23s, but... Um, we've never seen him really in the senior setup, so uh, that might feel like a bit of a gamble. But if they really believe in him, he was brought over from Barcelona, wasn't he, in his mid-teens? Then, then maybe you do promote him. I do kind of think, I do kind of think that having a left-footed left back clearly is going to be quite important to the mm. way we play. It's not the same as putting Maitland-Niles in as a left wing back, you know, with Tierney outside yeah. him. It's just not quite the same thing. Um, no, it's not. And I think, you know, part of the reason why Aubameyang was more on the left-hand side than we would have liked is because of that, you know, the ability of Tierney to get around the outside and mm. put crosses in and deliver the ball into the penalty area allows Aubameyang the, the, the opportunity or whatever to move centrally. Whereas when you've got a player like Maitland-Niles who isn't that comfortable on his left foot, who isn't going to beat the guy on the outside, who then comes back inside in order to create space and to stretch things a little bit, Aubameyang found himself on the left-hand side, uh, hugging the touchline far, far more than I think we needed or he needed to be, you know? 
I agree. I agree. And even when we played with the back three, Tierney was still getting up there and providing the width on that side. So I just think without mm. him, we, we really struggled. Can I ask you then? Yeah. Because we all came into this window going, oh, we need number 10. We need a creative midfield player. And now we're sort of looking at goalkeeper. We're sort of looking at left back as, as a fan base at mm. any rate. How do you kind of rank those three needs? Um, in this transfer window. Yeah, there was a question on the Discord from Stickers who said, uh, watching the game reinforced the need for reinforcements. Where do you think we need to reinforce most? Um, Mm. Like, I'm heartened by the fact that they're looking for a goalkeeper. I think that's important. We might never need that player between now and the end of the season, but I think from a a sense of security and... and, uh, yeah, just knowing we have some cover. I, I, I'm i sort of torn a little bit on on what we need. I, I still think the attacking midfield player is an important piece of the, the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and I like what Smith-Rowe has done. I thought Palace were quite clever last night in that they blocked off a lot of the passing lanes to him, so he couldn't connect the play the way that he has. Uh, I think he grew into the game. He became a bit more influential as the game went on, but um, I I still think that is an important part of the puzzle, but I think it is such an important part of the puzzle that it's crucial that we get that signing right. You know, we have to get the right player not for the next six months or between now and the end of the season, as important as it would be to have him. We've got to get the player who can be part of this team and grow with this team for the next two, three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. the, the key part of that attacking midfield signing for me. Yeah. Right? So it becomes a little more difficult to to find that player in January, I think. Um, let, yeah. So, let me reframe it then. Yeah. So if if we couldn't, let's say, find the permanent transfers we wanted in January, if I said to you, we can make one signing on loan and it could be a goalkeeper, a left back or oh. an attacking midfielder. That's See, for me... really difficult. I th- yeah. I'm, my, like my, my panic button says goalkeeper. Right, because you're worried. <laughs> I'm, I'm really quite worried about that like just from the point of view that i think okay the options we have at left back are imperfect but we could um much as i don't particularly want to see it you know bakayo saka can play there and play very well there and be very effective there Mm -hmm. right i think it's certainly a, a serviceable option even if it means from the right-hand side we're dealing with a player in Pepe who hasn't produced on a consistent basis and Willian who hasn't produced at all bar one game, right? Yeah. So I I accept there's a trade-off there, but I do think there is a a solution inside the squad. Attacking midfield, you know, again, you look at what Smith-Rowe has done. I know he had a, a quieter game last night, but maybe if we talk about Partey coming back in and being a bit more controlling in midfield and, and changing the way that the midfield operates, it might work well for, for someone like Smith-Rowe. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm i not sure we've got the cover at goalkeeper at Premier yeah. League level if something goes 
wrong with Leno, as it did last season. So I know people will differ with this and and will say, look, your goalkeeper, chances are he's going to go through the rest of the season without picking up an injury, get in the attacking midfield player. I get it, but just my own personal, like if I think about it, my heart, my gut says goalkeeper. But Interesting. Yeah, I you know I accept that this is a very personal thing for me. So you know, other yeah. people will. What would you do? I think, I think I would kind of the gambler in me would say go for the attacking midfield player mm. because I think the other two are kind of the security options. You know, they're backup for if something bad happens. Whereas I feel like potentially this attacking midfield player is the mm. starting player. You know, just simply because we don't really know what we're going to get from Smith Rowe between now and the end of the season. Um, whereas if we have Leno fit, if we have Tierney fit, we will be okay. Mm. But. Uh, one thing I will say, I'd be very surprised if Arsenal get all of those deals done. No, no, I don't see... I think maybe one. Yeah, same. So, you know, we're going to have a bit of anxiety in some area of the pitch, whatever happens. Um, mm. But also, I, I kind of think with Kieran Tierney, maybe there is an extent to which, you know, when you lose one of your best players, it is just going to hurt your team, isn't it? And you have yeah. to accept that. That's kind of the price of having some really, really good players. Um, you know, last season, if we'd lost to Bamiang, it would have felt like it killed us in this yeah, season. Tierney's kind of that guy. And I look, I think we have to take into account circumstances as well, because, you know, fingers crossed this is not the case, but what if Tierney has a an injury that's going to keep him out for a while. Yeah. Then I think that that sort of forces your hand a little bit. If you're going to be without Tierney for a couple of weeks, you go, okay. Well, that a changes of weeks, the we priority if it's a long time. Yeah. But you, do you remember um, when we signed Nacho Monreal? Yeah. I think there was a uh, an issue where Kieran Gibbs had got injured and Andre Santos. Was Andre Santos. Was Andre <laughs> <laughs> but also got injured. Yeah. I'm not sure his injury was quite as long-term as perhaps they made it out to be. It was like, oh no, he's injured. We better go buy a left back. Let's go get a left <laughs> Sorry, back. Sorry, Andre. Like, oh, There's no. nothing we can do. No, it's fine. I'll be fit in two days. No, no. Shh, fingers in their ears. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and they were so- going to bring him in in the summer and it was mm. a deal they sort of brought forward, yeah. basically. yeah. So let's see. Let's see what happens there. I haven't heard many people crying out for said Kalasinac to come back. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? Nobody's looking at it and going, oh, we shouldn't have sent Kalasinac to Schalke. Everyone's fine with that, as far as I can tell. Yeah, look, I mean, the only thing is, is you know, he is that, that natural cover. You, you couldn't really pine for Kalasinac, even if last night you could see we needed a player in that position. It's yeah. not like it's like, I wish we had Kalasinac back. I'm not sure that's the case. Um, here's a couple from the Discord. One from Kazorla's left foot, who says, what are your thoughts on the appointment of Richard Garlick as the director of football? Uh, will he add a possible value with his Premier League experience or simply be a clear specialist who performing uh, who'll be performing tasks given to him by Edu? And Daniel Rifat says, morning, mm. gents. Uh, with the news, Arsenal have hired Richard Garlick. Love the name because who doesn't love garlic? I don't love garlic. I don't love it. I mean, it's Do you okay. Not? No, um, I love garlic. I, I, I think garlic is important. It adds a depth of flavour to stuff, but I don't like things that taste too garlicky. Really, I yeah. can eat. I eat raw garlic sometimes. You are a it. monster. Yeah, delicious. 
Anyway, he says, uh, hiring Richard, oh, I'm very disturbed by this. The idea of just crunching on a raw clove of garlic is Oh, insane. that's my favourite. Oh, my I God. What is wrong with it. you? And you feel it kind of burning your yeah. uh, esophagus as you eat. Yeah. Um, pity my wife, of course. But I'm just trying to prove I'm not a vampire. That's my life story, guys. Well, I mean, how, how often do you have to prove that? I mean, what are you doing in your life that you need to prove this on a frequent basis? Yeah. I swear I I'm not a vampire. No, the body there with all the bite marks in the neck is not me. <laughs> it's all the bodies. It's all the bodies. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's talking about Richard Garlic. He says, I was wondering if you knew anything about him and how he could help us move forward. So this is a story that's come from your uh, athletic colleague, David Ornstein. So, you know, give us all the sus on Dickie Garlic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, not someone that I knew loads about prior to this news breaking. Um, since then, I've had a few conversations with people who know him from his role at West Brom, where I think he works alongside uh, Dan Ashworth there, uh, and they all speak very, you know, positively of him, as you would hope and expect. Very efficient guy, very nice guy, sensible man. Um, he apparently at the Premier League played quite an important role in getting Project Restart off the ground. So I think anyone who could sort of deal with that administrative mess will be relatively well suited to coming into Arsenal. Um, but, I, you know, it's difficult to say. I mean, he's going to be there primarily as a contracts guy. He's not going to be someone who changes the business Arsenal do, but he might change how they do it. Yeah, you know? he is... I think he has a, a background in sports law. He's a solicitor, law, but he has a yeah. background in not just, you know, regular law. Did I read he's got a sports science law talking guy degree, uh, degree or whatever it is? Sounds about right. I couldn't say for any certainty, but that sounds about right. I mean, listen, I, it's a really... Who knows if this appointment would attract the headlines and the breaking news and the scrutiny that it does at Arsenal at other clubs. I can't mm. say because I'm not a fan of those other teams. and I'm not embroiled in that world. But at Arsenal is something we're interested in. I mean, I, I kind of have this feeling that if, if Richard Garlick is good at his job, we won't talk much about Richard Garlick. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I hope that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that we sort of never, I mean, with respect to Richard Garlic, I hope that we kind of never really speak about him again because, yeah. you know, we never hear a story about Richard Garlic accidentally wrote the contract upside down or, you know, yeah, he yeah, put yeah. the font in windings and none of the players could understand it. Instead um, of a buyback clause, we have to pay them even more. Yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, exactly. So yeah. fingers crossed. Uh, he just does his job mm. efficiently. What's really clear is that Arsenal needed somebody in this role. I mean, Edu's mm. speciality is not contract law or numbers specifically. So mm. we need that person alongside them. I don't think Arsenal were ever inclined to make the kind of um, foot, uh, head of football, director of football, Sarah football, whatever you want to call it, appointment above Edu that yeah. a lot of fans are hoping for. But at least this is someone in the building 
with, you know, the right knowledge, the right qualification. Sure. I mean, the Guardian say he will oversee football operations in the first team and academy, as well as yeah. player contract management and relationships with football's governing bodies. It means Arsenal will benefit from the services of a qualified solicitor and sports law specialist who possesses clout at the top level, as well as a proven track record. He spent eight years at West Brom, where he's director of football administration. I mean, we've often bemoaned the fact that we don't sign players from uh, you know other <laughs> Premier League clubs, from low, yeah, all, lower, League lower clubs. clubs. So that, yeah, so there you go. But like you, I you know I hope we're not sitting here, you know, in six months' time, going garlic. Goddamn you! <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we will because you know the nature of Arsenal fans is we find the minutiae kind of fascinating. But Doris, uh, the tea lady. <laughs> but I, I I think that's absolutely right. That if if this is if this ship is sailing smoothly. We probably won't be talking about Richard Garlic too yeah. much. Do we? Um, do we uh, get the sense that this is? You know, we we brought on board. Um, what's the guy's name? The guy, the KSE guy, the KSE lawyer guy. Uh, Tim. Tim Lewis. Tim, Tim Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. I mean, he's a law-talking guy as well. So are we to assume that he's been involved in in this process in sort of weeding out the the sort of Lionel Hutzes of the world and bringing in the actual, you know, the footballing Matlock that is Richard Garlick? <laughs> Don't know that for a fact, <laughs> but wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you'd think the people involved in the interview process would be, the likeliest would be mm. Tim Lewis, Edu and Vinay. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm sure he's had a role. Okay. Um, and that, I guess, brings a degree of comfort given his background too. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. I mean, we don't know when he will arrive. He's got a fairly lengthy notice period with the Premier League, but uh, equally it's been suggested that other Premier League clubs won't be desperate for him to hang around the Premier League now mm. that he's a, an Arsenal employee, effectively. So maybe we might get him a bit sooner than anticipated. But he's not going to be in this transfer window, I wouldn't think. Okay. Um, so Eddie's on his own for now. Okay, uh, let's have another question. Okay, Henrik Hall on Twitter. What's the deal with our set pieces? It seems like we try something new every time and it never works. Yesterday, with all the players huddling together for corners, earlier weird free kicks that seem to fool everyone, including our own players. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been looking at the, the, the set pieces and the way we set up from corners and things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm Alan sure Smith was quite cutting, I thought, on his commentary last night. I don't know if you had Alan Smith, but he said, yeah, they've, uh, they've got some inventive routines, Arsenal. <laughs> and it was just like when your art teacher tells you your work's interesting. Yeah, you know interesting I mean? is a great word. Oh, look, I've, I've created this lovely dish. Have a taste. What do you think? Mmm, interesting. Yes. Yeah. It's a bit like that. I, you know, I assume there is some method to the apparent madness yeah it just strikes me that um when all your players are in a very small bunch does it make it less likely that you're going to get one of your players on the ball whereas if you're spread out a little bit i know they kind of spread out as the the ball comes in but you know if you 
if you were to spread your players out, does that not spread out the opposition? Like, if all your players are in this small bunch and you aim the ball at the small bunch, you've got a small bunch of Arsenal players and a small bunch of defenders and not much space to attack the ball. I don't mm. I don't quite get it. I just wonder if, you know, some players arriving from the edge of the box might be an, a nice addition to things like this. I mean, again, I saw last night, and I, I can't believe this is coincidence in any way, but Hector Bellerin was marking Christian Benteke from corners. Yeah. And this is I mean, a this is a theme that's been ongoing for the last few weeks where Bellerin is basically marking the best um one of the most uh the opposition's most effective players in the air. And yeah. I don't uh, quite know what that is. I I don't know either. I, I could p- possibly play it out in my mind and think well maybe Arsenal have put their best headers kind of in zones because we use a combination of zones and and map mm. marking and then maybe Benteke or whoever it is looks at that and thinks right well I'm not going to go and stand there because that's where Louise stands or whatever it might be and so consequently Bellerin ends up picking these players up and then if they come into the other player's zone that responsibility mm. transfers but <sighs> defensively we've been a lot better than Offensive on the set pieces, right? Yeah. Our record's pretty good, I believe, defensively. Maybe yeah. second best. I saw Orbino Doom tweeting about the amount of <laughs> about the amount of corners that have actually connected with an Arsenal man uh, yes. so far this season, and I think it's minus five out of seven trillion corners, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's the, in the attacking side mm. that I'm seeing the problems. I must say, actually, I thought Kai Saka's delivery yesterday was. Yeah. Some of the best I've seen of an Arsenal team for a, for a while. There was a um, really good late free kick, wasn't there? They, they did very well yeah. to defend it, but the delivery was, it was delicious. If you're, if you're trying to attack that ball, that's exactly what you want. Yeah, and there were a couple of others, like maybe it was his corner, I'm not sure, from the left that found Louise at the back post. I think he would have been offside, wouldn't he? Right, yeah. And then, there were, um, there were, basically his delivery was his best for a while and probably Arsenal's best for a while so maybe that's a skill Mm. he is developing that would be very useful because we hit the first man with such a frustrating percentage of our of our set pieces I I don't know when you have a specific set piece coach it's kind of inevitable that will come under the microscope isn't it Um, yeah yeah and it does sometimes feel like unnecessary overcomplication that isn't providing results Mm. so I can understand people's frustrations there. At least, at least we seem to be getting away defensively. But I agree, the small fullback marking tall attacker uh, defenders is interesting. Yeah, here was a quite interesting one from uh, Jahan Zaib Khan. Hope I've said that right. He's at Jahan Zaib Fab Four on Twitter. He says, I've noticed recently that players while taking corners try to place the ball over the curve line in order to gain a minimal advantage when the referee is not nearby. I think there was a couple of uh, times Saka was made put the ball back a couple of inches last night. If a goal is scored from such a corner, would or should VAR intervene to overrule it? I'm not sure about that, but I don't really understand what they're doing. I don't get why they can't just put the ball in the fucking, in the what do you call it? I haven't spotted this. Is this something you've seen? Yeah, as well? they do it all the time. Players do it. They put it right on the outside of the the 
what do you call it? The little fucking cornery, circly hoo-ha. Ringy bit. The ringy yeah. bit. Yeah. They, they put it outside that, and I don't know why. Because, like, if you can't kick the ball into the box as a professional footballer from inside that little circular <laughs> fucking doohickey, what's it called? Like, what difference is three inches going to make? What is the? What are they trying to do? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And in in a in a time of that, it does feel like if the technology exists for them to kind of catch that out, mm. they absolutely will. Mm. Um, it's a game of fine margins, but surely not that fine. No. Uh, yeah, weird one. Weird one. Weird one. Um, what about this? Okay, uh, Vashist on the Discord says, should we try Pepe on the left-hand side to speed up his play? And Callum Buchanan on Twitter says, is Pepe too left-footed to play on the right? He can't cross the ball without cutting into his left foot, which is very easy for defenders to read. Would playing him on the left allow him to find players in the box more naturally? Um, I don't... I don't know about this one. I, you know, I think there were a couple of Europa League games, weren't there, where he played on the left and he was okay. Do you remember him doing it at Anfield as well in the League Cup, maybe? Yeah, um, I can't remember that. But um, I just think fundamentally the issue is that he is a player who thrives in a counter-attacking team. Um, he needs space in front of him to be as effective as he can be. Mm-hmm. I think he does have some skills. He does have ability. He does have talent. But I don't think when faced with 10 or 11 defenders behind the ball, when he's being double teamed time and time again, as soon as he gets the ball out on the right-hand side, I just don't think that's, you know, after 18 months, maybe a bit more, I think we can say that's not where the strengths in his game are. Yeah, I do think it's weird the degree to which we assume it's kind of transferable. That He played mm. in a very counter-attacking team at Lille, kind of breaking from one end of the field to the other. And at Arsenal, the kind of problem that needs to be solved is often playing against massed ranks of a defence. And it's a very, very different circumstance mm. and situation. And I, I do understand people making the leap of, oh, well, I saw him dribble past a guy you know, in France on a counter-attack. Therefore, why can't you just dribble past this guy in front of him? But it, it is just so different. Mm. Um, I do wonder if we're kind of expecting him to be something that there is no evidence that he is. It doesn't mean he couldn't do it, but it's yeah. not something he's done with any great uh, track record. Yeah, I mean, there was another one on the Discord from... Uh, let me have a look here. I'm just increasing the font size so I can see it because I'm sitting back. Jithin Krishnan on the Discord, who says, were the club justified in denying Emery the signing of Zaha? He's almost as frustrating a player to watch as Pepe is. And again, you uh, you know, just a quick observation is that you know, we when it came to squad building or strategizing or whatever it yeah. was, you know, maybe they looked at Zaha and said, okay, he's a player who has to play in a team which sits deep and then counters and he can dribble at opponents, he's good on the ball, he can go past them, et cetera, et cetera, and create danger that way. I don't know if you listened to the podcast that he did with um, Jamie Carragher 
um, the greatest game in the podcast. It's quite interesting. It's not one of the greatest episodes, but you know, he talks very specifically about where he feels he's uh, strong and the kind of team he he likes to play in is one which is organised, sits deep, and then can break. Right. Um, so if Arsenal were denying Emery Zaha, maybe in part because they thought, well, that's not the kind of game that we play. We need yeah. more front-footed players. We need players who can take, you know, a bit more responsibility when we're uh, dealing with a, a opposition that we're, you know, s- supposed to beat, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, in inverted commas, of course. You know, we, we need to be more proactive. If that was part of the rationale as to why we didn't sign Zaha, mm. you know, the same could very much apply to Pepe. Well, that's it. I think there are tremendous similarities. And, you know, Zaha, he's, he can be a very frustrating player to watch. And I think the degree to which, you know, he kind of plays for the referee um, is, I'm sure, irritating to many. But I think that is sort of a function of the team he's playing in and the role he has. Like, he's often the guy... <laughs> you know, 30 yards further ahead than any other Crystal Palace player. Mm. And a lot of his game is about making territory and making ground and keeping the ball away from the, the Palace goal. Uh, it's very difficult to predict, as with Pepe, what he would have been like coming into the Arsenal team. Um, you know, you kind of, it's inevitable comparisons will be drawn. But I, I do sometimes wonder about that with Emery. Did he kind of, did Emery uh, have a. <laughs> was his plan in as far mm. as there was one to be more of a counter-attacking team. Um, I, I don't know, but it, we never saw it with any efficacy. But no, I, do I mean... Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it was, but, it, you know, again, this comes back to, is that the, the, the right way for Arsenal to play or the Arsenal that we expect Arsenal to be? It's yeah. not that you shouldn't be able to counter-attack, being effective on the counter-attack was a huge part of, of what made Wenger's team so great. You know, you think about, think about that goal we scored against Spurs. You mm-hmm. know, the Vieira goal where they have a corner and within sort of seven seconds, uh, it's Henri to Bergkamp to Vieira and it's in the back of their fucking net. Right? That's mm-hmm. uh, an important part of how we were able to play, but it wasn't the basis of our game. Absolutely, yeah. It was a really a key part of it. But I kind of think the problem statement at Arsenal right now is teams come and sit deep against us and defend and we don't know what to do about it um mm. and you know I, I i'm not convinced well yeah and that's the pro- that's what needs to be solved yeah and i know we all know that but i think it's important when considering the type of players we look at in the transfer market that they're players who mm. who can solve that problem okay let's have a, a couple of uh, one more quick one and then we've got uh, we've got a uh, the return of a feature that everybody I'm sure is dying to hear uh, yeah. we've got one a couple here uh, from Sam on Twitter who's at Mighty Mongoose 7 who says given the imbalance last night the lack of creativity down the left and Lacazette in good form although I'm not sure he had a great game last night not that it was all his fault is it worth having a conversation about Aubameyang being dropped at this point we don't have a lot of options but I'd probably prefer to see uh, Gabby, Martinelli or Pepe 
on the left. And then there was one here from Suhail Parmar, who's at S. Parmar 1105, who says, Morning, uh, morning. Aubameyang is really struggling to make an impact in the league. Why doesn't Arteta rest slash rotate him out like he did with other players when they were out of form? For example, Lacazette was rotated out, then went on a scoring streak. I think it's taken us this long, maybe, to mention Gabriel Martinelli in the podcast, which, if Mm. so, that's an oversight on my part, because, you know, as much as the absence of Tierney hurt us, I do think Martinelli has brought something pretty special to the team in the last few weeks, and we missed a bit of that Mm. as well. Um, The Aubameyang question, I mean... It is difficult. It is difficult to be, I think, too critical of your your finishers, as it were, when the team create nothing, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, like you, like you, I don't think Lacazette had a great game, but there was no service. I suppose the problem you have with Aubameyang is he's not someone... Uh, he's not the kind of winger who is hugely creative. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be someone who beats his man and swings in a mm. brilliant cross. Although I think there was one decent cross last night. Um, I Do I think we should drop him? It's complicated by the captaincy issue as well, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that, but I guess that is true. Uh, to be honest, if Martinelli's fit, I think it's a conversation again. I think without Martinelli... I think you've got to play him. I think you need his goal threat. You need everything mm. he brings. With um, Martinelli, do you still play him, but do you play him as the centre forward? I think if you're going to play him, that's where. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be... It would be harsh on Lacazette, I think, given what he has brought in recent weeks and the way he's linked up with Smith-Rowe and Saka. Yeah. Maybe Aubameyang can do it too, but uh, I'm not convinced. I don't think... I don't think Arteta should shy away from not starting Aubameyang. I know the captaincy weighs heavy in this conversation, but the question is right. Lacazette was kind of left out for a couple of weeks and did come back looking fresher, looking more motivated. And sometimes a player needs that, you mm. know. And and I, I think I think Aubameyang has been brilliant for Arsenal, but I don't think Arteta should pick him on seniority. You know mm. what I mean? What do you think? Yeah. Um, I, You know, I think he is our most natural goal scorer mm-hmm. and we need to score goals. And I recognise that, you know, in the Premier League, he hasn't really done it this season. I think there are mitigating circumstances. I, you know, I would like to see with, with Martinelli back on the left-hand side, I think I'd like to see a bit of a run uh, with him there and Aubameyang in the centre and just see what kind of connection they can make. But of course, part of what made, you know, Martinelli, not part of what made Martinelli, but Martinelli was really effective with Kieran Tierney. I thought that, you know, they were a partnership absolutely that really clicked and have clicked from from day one, you know, going back to when Emery was in charge those two guys combined from pretty much the start when Tierney came back into the team and we're, I know it was Europa League and what have you, but they, they've got an understanding there, which I think has gone some way to making Martinelli 
I don't want to take anything. I'm not taking anything away from his talent or his ability or his potential or anything like that. But I think part of the reason why he flourished so quickly was because of how good he uh, and Tierney were together. So I think there's a uh, something in that, that that might just be a little bit of a, a concern if Tierney's going to be out for a little while. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there was... For me, there were encouraging signs in Aubameyang's movement, but his play in the final third wasn't great. But you know, this is a this is a long season, and I think uh, I think I'd just be more inclined to give him another few games to see if you can get him back into the rhythm properly. If you can, the value yeah. of that is enormous. Yeah, that's exa- that's the thing that the upside of that is really significant. So. And I do think he scored a bit in extra time against Newcastle in the Cup. I think he had a decent enough game against West Brom. Arsenal generally mm. were very good as an attacking unit. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think his trajectory has been a bit better in terms of his performances. Sure. So, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to throw Martinelli straight back into the starting lineup. So I think mm. he will play mm. against Newcastle. Let's put it like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, that's just about that. But of course, we have a game on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra on Tuesday. We're facing Newcastle, who are known as the Magpies. So it's time for a bit of this. Magpies living in the garden. Watch out. James, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2021. Welcome to the brand new, all new, all singing, all dancing, all squawking Magpie Facts. It is an honour and a privilege to be here. And what reward to those people who stayed with a 90-minute podcast about a 0-0 draw with Crystal Palace. This has made it all worthwhile. I presume. I can't wait. I'm so excited about this. Uh, I I assume that given the length of time it's been since our last Magpie Facts, this fact has got to be, it's got to be off the charts. Right. Okay. Well, it's it's been a weird time for everyone, hasn't it? And it's no less weird for the Magpies. I give you the following headline. Eerie footage. This is a newspaper headline from a newspaper in England that is horrible and I don't want to mention. Eerie footage shows a man being stalked by a terrifying flock of 30 magpies on the street. Uh Uh-oh. With the birds chirping in unison and running behind him. And then the subtitle, a man was followed by 30 magpies as he walked down a quiet suburban street. The man filmed the native birds run and fly after him. In Melbourne last week. Oh, of course, it was in fucking Australia, the Australian Magpies. That's where their lair is. That's where the Magpies HQ 
the truly evil magpies are in are down under. That's for Much sure. Much like humans, the really evil ones are in Australia. And I turned <laughs> around. <laughs> I love all Australian listeners. I turned around and realised I was being stalked by thirty magpies. Imagine this man's terror. Listen, we've got quotes from the man in question about this terrifying video. Okay. As I walked along, I noticed one magpie following me, then three, then four. Is this, was he, is it the count from Sesame Street? One magpie. (laughs) He missed two. Three I've got bad news, mate. Uh You missed two. I turned around and realised I was being stalked by 30 magpies. Some were in the trees, some were on the power lines. But this, and I think this is the most chilling aspect of all, most running along the ground following me. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, you There's something more frightening about them pursuing on foot. There is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at first I thought maybe this guy is some kind of magpie pied piper and he was leading them to their death, to some Mm. kind of cliff well i mean of course they can fly i don't know how you rats off a cliff is how imagine do you do all going to all the effort of buying a special magic pipe playing a little tune mm. on it getting all the magpies to follow you to the edge of a cliff only to remember they can that fly, they can fly. that would be bastards. a devastating blow back to the drawing board you'd have to lead them into some kind of mincer or or something like that but i mean could, could it be a pie a pie <laughs> A magpie pie. I mean, could it have been uh, a scent that he was wearing? I mean, maybe we're doing the magpies a disservice here. What if this guy was wearing Lynx Africa and they've had enough? They're like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, it's they've had enough of Lynx Africa. Yeah, it's just an appalling smell, and they're not taking it anymore. And they're alternatively, maybe they are attracted to the smell of Lynx Africa. Well, Maybe well, that the might next Lynx sense. advert is going to be a guy spraying himself under his arms. It's called Axe in America, if you're wondering what we're talking about. It's got a different name, bizarrely. But, and then he walks down the street and all the magpies just start following him. That's backfired if that happens. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to do much for sales. They're not the sort of birds that you want to attract. <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? That is bad. It really that is. is bad. From a professional comedian, that is actually really shameful. There's no um, way you're getting on Mock the Week now. <laughs> the article <laughs> signs off, by the way, with a quite harrowing story. Last year, two victims suffered serious eye injuries after magpie swoops and had to go under emergency surgery. Uh, no, yeah. I mean... Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. James Glinderman, 68, was sitting on a park bench eating some Chinese takeaway for lunch. How decadent. Uh, Near the Gippsland shopping centre when a young magpie appeared at his feet. Looking all cute, I imagine. Looking all like, oh, hi, guys. Look up in Chinese, yeah. I love being a Chinese. Yeah. And then, and then it looked at me. I didn't give it any Chinese food, so it just attacked me. Well, there's the downfall. Give him a bit of your chow mein. Come on. Give him a few. Give him a little prawn or whatever. Just help him out. Chicken and he'll ball. leave you alone. Yeah. It's like the mafia. It's the magpie mafia. They come around. You give them the protection money. They're on your side. If you don't want to play that game, you will pay the consequences. Yeah, but you know what? There's no warning. It's not like next time you're going to get it. Straight away, he's pecking your fucking eye out. Well, I mean, he's probably already done one. So this. James Glinderman, he needs to be careful. 
you'll lose the other one. And I, then- like, I liked it when you said James Glinderman 68. I immediately thought that was his Twitter handle. <laughs> he's got a question here for the ask us what's wrong with pepe uh thanks james we don't know but so there you go so magpies still up to their old tricks all right well you know wherever I think, you are though andrew go on what the people want will, would be for me to provide a new jingle for 2021 for the magpies are you and sure I am sure, and I think even if you're not sure, uh, I think at home they're banging on the tables, they're jumping up and down. Where's the new jingle, James? Where is it? Okay, well, well look, I, I, I will. You know, I trust you. We've been doing this a long time. You know the audience well, so you know, have at it. Uh, thank you very much, and I, I don't mind saying that this will be an improvised attempt. So we'll see where we go, as, as opposed to. The- Supposed to the, the other one. The beautiful orchestration <laughs> and careful lyrical genius. <clears throat> okay. 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 There'll be some echoes of the old one because okay. I need to get into the flow. Magpies living in the garden. Black and white. Watch out for magpies. What have you noticed recently about magpies? They're not social distancing. They're travelling in packs. One for sorrow and two for joy. Three for a girl and four for a global conspiracy. (laughs) Yes, that's right. The magpies had the vaccine. They had the antidote all along. Magpies, they're working with the bats. They work together (laughs) to destroy humanity. Magpies, magpie facts. Oh, bravo. Bravo. I have to say, I'm I'm glad I went with your gut feeling on this one. I think everybody listening to this would have been much worse off had they not heard that. And I think, yeah, collectively, everyone's thinking, you know what? 2020 was a rough year, but if it was worth it to get Magpie Facts back, so be it. So be it. Well, I'm looking forward That's to... That's not for me to say. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the heavy rock guitar version of that jingle, I have to say. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we will be, we'll be back on... Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. And hopefully the biggest, on, mag- the biggest magpie fact will be that we've taken three points off Newcastle. I would love that to be. If that could be, if there could be enough to talk about in mm. the game that the only magpie facts were football related, we would take that at this point. For sure. Point. For sure. We'll keep fingers crossed for that. So join us on Tuesday. We will have a preview podcast for you uh, over the weekend as well. So if you're a Patreon member, you will get a, a Newcastle preview podcast. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, though, thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks for being with us, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.